this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. Playlist Nation, party people, welcome, welcome. I am your, uh, I'm de facto host. Uh, my name is Rodrigo Perez. I'm the editor and chief of the playlist.net. Um, there was an idea way back when, um, going on embarrassingly now on about three years ago, when I saw that everybody was doing their own kind of podcast shows. And I was like, I can do that. I can have my own interview podcast show. And so I recorded an interview with James Gray at the time for Lost City of Z and the audio seemed okay and pretty decent. And so I turned it into a podcast and uh, I thought, you know, this shouldn't be uh, that hard to do. Um, But, uh, you know, life comes at you and does things and most interviews end up being phoners and uh, quality is not great. And I just kind of gave up on the idea. So uh, a podcast that I had started called uh, meant to be a show for myself, or at least an interview show that uh, that I would conduct or host called Deep Focus kind of uh, fell out of focus and went away. Um, but here I am three years later. And um, now that people are starting to do uh, interviews on Zoom, I thought, uh, given I had done this long 30 minute in-depth interview with Josh Trank, the director of Capone, his latest movie Capone, um, I thought, you know, I could turn this into a podcast and see how it goes. I won't go on too long about, you know, the ideas of Josh, but you know, he's, his, his narrative is, is pretty, uh, you know, uh, it's got three acts, I guess. Um, you got a first act of a kid, a uh, young filmmaker who uh, makes Chronicle, you know, uh, based off of, uh, um, you know, a found footage Star Wars uh, short that, you know, kind of uh, became viral and, and took over the Internet for a few uh, weeks back. And God, who knows now, a zillion years ago. But that and, you know, his his uh, his real and general got him Chronicle and Chronicle was uh, his uh, his debut film and you know, uh, written by, you know, someone that, you know, we don't, none of us probably love these days. Max Landis still nonetheless, a a very good, um, deconstruction of, of superheroes. And it just seemed like a more kind of genuine, realistic look at like what could happen if all of a sudden you were a teenager and you and your buddies got powers. There could be, it might not just turn out to be the most uh, amazing thing in the whole world and you put on suits and save the world. It was maybe a more, uh, you know, a realistic look at what might happen with, uh, with, uh, teenagers who, who weren't heroes, you know, they just got powers. A, I think there's a distinct difference. I think Chronicles is a really good movie. And obviously based on that idea, 
I think a lot of people thought, wow, this, you know, given the, the nature of the Fantastic Four, that he could be kind of perfect for this sort of thing. So he did Fantastic Four and you all know the story of how that turned out and, 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 and what happened there. I won't really relitigate that too much. Um, you know, it was a big financial flop, a critical flop. It was taken away from him. It was, he had to do all kinds of reshoots that he didn't agree with. Um, uh, you know, it's a pretty crazy story. I would recommend that recent Polygon uh, article that uh, um, Matt Patches did um, that's pretty amazing and pretty in-depth that once it goes over four years, sort of chronicles um, the whole fallout and aftermath of that. So that movie flopped and, you know, he was basically in director jail, but, you know, five years later, um, he's back and he's got his, his, his first year, his first film in, in five years. It's called Capone. Um, he still refers it to as, as Fonzo, um, the, which was the original title. It's a, it's a movie about Al Capone. Um, but it's not an Al Capone kind of gangster story that you would know, or at least it's not the one that, you know, people think of it's not really a, a gangster story. It's more of a fever dream. It's it's Al Capone um, at the end of his career or at the end of his life. Really, he's um, in his late forties. He's suffering from uh, neurosyphilis. I think the term is or a neurosyphilitic condition that is giving him like dementia. And you know, he's incontinent, and he's he's basically. He's, he's kind of on his last legs. His health is extremely poor. He's going, he's demented. And, and the, the film is a, is a very wild, strange kind of um, look into his, his paranoia, his dementia, his, uh, his fears, his damaged and, and fragile psyche. And it's just a, a you know, surreal kind of uh, look at uh, someone on their last legs mentally, really, you know, it's Trank kind of just going for it. And uh, so we uh, I just spoke to him very recently last week um, about uh, making the film. And, you know, he got very candid about a lot of things. I didn't really know what to expect, but, you know, especially given that profile where he was um, granted, it was done over four years and he was in a pretty dark uh, state of mind. And but uh you know, I, I, I encountered a, a, a person, an individual who, who just felt a lot of empathy for and felt like I um, was rooting for the guy. Um, he was very pleasant. He was very agreeable. He was easy to talk. He seemed to be eager to um, talk about all kinds of things. We probably could have gone on for a lot longer. Um, he discussed, you know, things like the Fantastic Four and uh, Capone, his relationship with Tom Hardy. Um, it sounds like him and Tom Hardy are, are charting some um, new projects. He didn't get to, into those into total detail. And I didn't really um, nudge too much. I didn't feel it was quite the place. Yeah, I think it was a, a really um, a, a good interview. And he's very candid about his his failures um, with the Fantastic Four. I think he put it in this interesting way that we all have our Fantastic Four. We all have that thing that where we fail and um, it bruises us. It hurts us. Uh, it gives us that kind of self doubt where we we're not sure where we can go on, and and, and I can and I surely relate to that, um, and um, and I think most people do. It's a very common human struggle, um, and he and that that's how he felt to me, like a very human uh, person, someone very willing and eager to discuss his everything from things. He just seems like he's in a better state of mind. I think, in fact, if you 
are coming off reading that Polygon piece, which you might be if, you, if you're coming to this now, because it, I, you're, if you're probably that kind of listener who, you know, I think everybody read that, and regardless, it's so good, it's so in-depth, but you might be surprised that he seems like the po- polar opposite person here. He's like, different state. Again, that interview done over four years, some of it probably, uh, you know, within the few months of, of that incident, it was a very dark time for him. He went through a lot of uh, ups and downs and downs, you know, um, in, in his personal life and, and you know, probably a, a lot of despair and, and, and a lot of self-doubt and thinking that his career was over. Um, but, you know, he's back and, and um, I, you know, I think uh, I think there's something there, and I think you know we certainly haven't seen the last of them, and um, I'm curious to see what happens next. And well, I hope you enjoy this conversation. If it exists, it goes into the future. Deep Focus is part of uh, what we call the Playlist Podcast Network, which includes the Discourse, the Fourth Wall, and Be Real. Um, it can be heard on iTunes, Anchor FM, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and it's also on Spotify. So we encourage you to, to um, you know, sign up, uh, subscribe to wherever you do listen to podcasts, uh, follow us on iTunes and you know, if you can give us a, uh, drop us a comment, give us a rating, uh, on whichever format that you, you listen to podcasts, we'd really appreciate it. Spread the word, you know, every little bit helps. And, uh, I, I guess in, in conclusion, I, I hope that you enjoy this interview. I hope you think it's good. I'd love to hear some feedback because I haven't, done a I've duped interviews all the time but like not in a you know a podcast setting I don't I don't I, this is you know I don't know I would love to hear what you think and you know hopefully I'll do more um this kind of zoom thing has just um made it uh, seem uh, a little bit uh easier to do I, I don't know anyhow I hope you're well out there it's a pretty crazy time I know a lot of people are, are um spiritually and emotionally um at at sea at bay and not really knowing what's going on and um you know it's a, it's a crazy time but uh, i hope you're doing well i hope you're okay and um thanks for listening and i hope you enjoy the interview how you doing i'm good rodrigo hey um i'm glad this isn't a like a a video thing because I have a little like eczema situation on my forehead. So I'm like, I was nervous, but I would have done, I would have done it for you and been like, (laughs) okay, Hey, look, you know, I'm I'm a flawed human being. Guess what? Oh wait, you already know. (laughs) That's okay. I I feel uh, quite much the same to be honest. (laughs) Uh, Well, besides that, how are you, sir? Uh, you know, quarantine's got me down and I've got quarantine brain, but so does everybody else, right? Yeah, I believe so. Um, (laughs) I mean, and by the way, it's good to finally talk to you. I feel like we kind of know each other, but like, yeah, slightly, right? Like, I feel like you're on, I mean, I was going to ask because I, I never know anymore. Like, I feel like you're on social media, but then I also feel like you're not because you understandably, uh, you know, take some time outs and, and, uh, so I just think, you know, it's weird because I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm like, I'm social, I'm a social person, but I'm a hermit. And I'm like, you know, for me with the, with this job, like direct, like directing, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I, I write and I direct. So my balance in life is I can be alone for long stretches of time. And I'm perfectly fine with that. Right. And because then when I'm on a set, 
you know, it's, you're surrounded by, you know, a few hundred people every day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week for, you know, a couple months on end, Mm -hmm. sometimes longer. And then you're like, okay, I need to be alone for a long time. Right. But for me, my only outlet is really like talking to my friends or seeing people every now and then. But social media is interesting because it is a way to connect with a lot of other people, but you're not really connecting at all unless these are like, what I've, what I've noticed, and I know this is like, well, we have a lot to talk about, obviously, that is yeah. not this, but um, I've, not, I've realized something, which is like, if I have an idea for a tweet or something I want to say, yeah. I have to decide before I tweet it, is this a good thing to tweet or is this a good thing to text to one of my best friends and it's a text message thing because my best friend knows me. Right. But like, if I make a joke about something, um, you know, like I, it was a few nights ago, I was, I laughed to myself because it was, you know, um, May the 4th and everybody was, you know, (laughs) and I was just, I started to crack up in my head because I'm just like, I just kept thinking about like just George Lucas alone at home watching law and order doing (laughs) impossible to ignore what's going on. And I was like, that's really funny. So I tweeted that. I was like, you know, George Lucas is, a, is watching Law & Order ignoring right. all of you. And then I deleted it because I'm just like, I'm like that on its, on its own. If you don't know me and also the fact yeah. that like based off of what people know me for, for like, you know, all of this other baggage, yeah. that is such a dick thing to say. And it, but there was the intention was just me just, being me. So it's why it's really good to actually talk to you because I feel like we are all in this film Twitter film community, but mm-hmm. it's a community where most of us don't actually know each other on a personal level or like mm-hmm. our personalities. So it's hard to decipher if some somebody's being sarcastic or, you know, shots fired or whatever when it's like <laughs> right. not. And, you know, I actually wish that there was a way, you know, maybe after this whole pandemic is over or whatever it is that more of us could like kind of get to know each other a little bit because I, I find it kind of sad that like, you know, the film community is just film Twitter. It's so impersonal. And yet we're all connected to each other by a very, very, very real passion for the same thing, which is we love movies and we all love different kinds of movies. And some of us love certain types of movies more than some, some of us who love certain types of movies that are different than that. And I think that that's, you know, back in the day of going, hanging out at video stores, it was very, because rather than what I think turns into these competitive conversations on Twitter where people are like, what I like is better than what you like or whatever. Mm-hmm. That was, you would never have those conversations in person with other movie fans and video stores because what an awkward conversation. It's not confrontational in person. Mm-hmm. Like most of us are not really confrontational people. We're like movie nerds. So when you used to go to a video store and you talk to the, you know, like people perusing, like, you know, John Cassavetes, like, you know, movies, you'd, yeah. learn, you'd learn things from each other and become friends. So yeah. anyway, like I said, it's, it's good to talk to you. And, you know, I'm, I'm yeah, excited. likewise. Yeah, no, I mean, you're right. I, I remember that experience, too. It doesn't happen. Um, but yeah, I should ask you about um, your new movie, um, which is, is, is really wild and, and uh, has this amazing performance from Tom Hardy. And um, tell me a little bit about like, where 
like the, the idea came from what inspired it. And then I, I, I don't, I sort of purposely kept a little uh, ignorant because I kind of want to enjoy this conversation and you, you to tell me about this stuff is like how you got into Capone and, and where this all came from. Like, it, Sure. I mean, and again, just so you know, if we, if we cut into there not being any like time left, like, you know, the door is totally open and we can do a follow-up, uh, you know, the same way we'll just, we'll work it out so that, you know, you can get everything that you could possibly want. From me. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, where this all came from is it's like similar to where Chronicle came from for me. It was a, like organic, an, an organic story that just evolved out of an, uh, a, a need to um, deal with certain feelings that I had in the best way that I know how to, which is through uh, storytelling by projecting my own feelings onto certain characters and to resolve those feelings in the context of three acts, right? Yeah. So for Capone, you know, aka Afonso, as as it's still in my head, I think Fonzo. Um, it's, uh, this is, you know, right around the time in the months leading up to the release of Fantastic Four where there were more of these stories that were being published uh, about me and, and, and who I was and, you know, apparently what I was doing and, and all, you know. Um, what's that? <laughs> Fun time in your life. <laughs> oh, so so much fun. So I remember, I remember I was sitting there and I'm reading these stories just like everybody else is. And my reaction to them was uh, very surreal because it was placing a person who had my name, Josh Trank, in situations that I remembered completely differently. Right. And yet, the it seemed that these stories were being built out of a consensus from various sources that all agreed that this was the story of who I was and that the public was in agreement with that characterization of me and with these stories. So my first reaction to the first series of stories was like anger and defensiveness, like what sure. the fuck? Like that didn't happen and that's bullshit. And why, what the fuck? And, and how do I defend myself against this when everybody is, seems to want that to be the truth? Like I can't, what? And then as more stories started coming out along those lines, the anger just became confusion in myself because all you have at the end of the day in connection to the rest of society and other people is your sense of your identity you know rodrigo your sense of who our rodrigo is is yours you know it's not mine it's yours my sense of who i am that's that's all that's all i have so when i was looking at that stuff i suddenly felt that my sense of my identity didn't belong to me anymore which is what essentially all celebrities uh, go through. And what I'm saying here is I'm not a celebrity by any means, but what I started to deal with was something that uh, on a small level, what a big celebrity would, which is suddenly the world owns your identity. So what I'm saying here is like by no means a complaint or a grievance. Yeah, no, I, I, it was, you know what I'm saying? Like it was that, that sense me, of like, um, uh, uh, like loss of equilibrium in a way, right? 
Yeah, like, because I've always viewed myself, that's why I've always thought it was really, it's strange for me to contend with this idea of people knowing who I am, because I just see myself as me, you know, and like, I'm not really, I'm not like this, like, you know, I don't, I'm, I'm just, I'm just a good, like dude who plays video games and like writes movies and is lucky enough that I make them, you know, like, so the idea that there's a, this controversy and all that, it was just kind of, it's just confusing and that anybody wants to know about me. It's like, why, you know? So when I was seeing that, I was just having this very distorted sense of my own identity. And after the months went on and on and on with more and more stories and then, more of my own what I thought was like film Twitter community where everybody was kind of like jumping on, which by the way is fine in retrospect because at the time I was obviously bitter and about that, but right. it's okay because how else would, what would, how would anybody else know other than what was being reported? And I was too scared to try to raise my voice at right. any moment because I was, I didn't want to, I, I didn't, I, I was too, uh, I guess stubborn to want to admit that I had lost control of something. Mm-hmm. So while that was going on, I just was like, well, I'll remain silent. I'm still fighting for this movie. And then hopefully I will win this movie and then they will see, and then I can discuss, but that never happened, you know? So then the movie comes out and made the tweet I did. And then all these stories. Capone was building up in my mind this entire time and I didn't know it. Right. Mm-hmm. So by the time the movie came out it was like the reverberation of the nuclear bomb that was you know the august 15th 2015 for me i mean i or august 9th or whatever it was i i was five years ago huh yeah i was sitting out there by you know like i was in woodland hills in the valley we had a you know a little pool i was sitting out there and uh just chain smoking cigarettes my phone was not ringing anymore. I was, you know, toxic person and nobody wanted to talk to me and a few friends checking in, but it was very quiet. And, uh, as, uh, my whole life, I've always been fascinated by a lot of different, you know, characters in history. And I've read a lot of books and, um, I started to just think about, uh, Al Capone after he was released from Alcatraz and like, you know, him just sitting outside alone puffing on a cigar and how what a contrast just juxtaposition of like the huge huge big you know bombastic life that he was the star of in the center of versus like just the sound of nature and just nothingness outside and you know i i felt like i could relate to that and so i just would ponder on on that vibe in my head um, for a few weeks without any sort of creative uh, impulse to write about it. And then where it really triggered me to want to write about it was I started to think about how weird it would have been for him to flip on the radio and hear these like Edward G. Robinson style radio plays where he's the main character and how if what I had been reading about me was a different identity than I identified with him. He, he must have felt the same way, but it yeah. must have been so much more um, intense because of how famous he was and how, you know, so I, I was like, well, I want to write about who he thought he was in that moment 
and he was a you know grandfather. He was a family member. He was you know with failing health, and so I, I just started writing about their you know the the their one of their last thanksgivings is just the way to like put myself in this family and just be there and it became very uh i hate to say therapeutic but it was and i just started writing that and it was not me writing a movie about al capone it was just it, you know i i in fact in my first draft i very consciously tried to not write about uh, say that even there was any like al capone was a name in in it until like midway through and we're like oh but you know that obviously wouldn't work as a surprise for a movie because everybody would know what it's about but why i say that is because it it, to me it is it's not the most important thing in the movie is not that he is al capone it's just that he's this person who is contending with his own sense of identity while his mental faculties are you know deceiving him right um, yeah, there's this total, I mean, that fever dream quality, the, the ideas of paranoia and delusion that, you know, I, I, I can assume, I can see where you can find some sort of personal in on that, especially the kind of, uh, you know, paranoia or whatever, things that settle in after some difficult times. Um, like how much of that is like, I mean, I know some of it, obviously he, like how much of that is based in reality, like in terms of like things that really did happen to him, or is it just sort of the basic skeleton of like, the idea of this guy that we know that was like, you know, let out of prison and had, you know, the sort of neuro-syphilitic condition, but like, yeah, how, where does it go from there? How much is factual? Like it was, there's, there's a bit of the, it being a like kind of a skeleton in also being very much based in uh, enough, um, f- enough fact that, you, you know, your imagination would be able to work in a like response in a, in a in a responsible enough playground. Like, so for instance, I knew about the story, right? When I started really committing to writing it every single day, um, I did very cursory refresher research to just make sure that I had certain siblings' names right and things like that but mainly also just to sort of make sure that i wasn't betraying anything that had actually happened in that time period that would have made this story impossible to tell the way that i was imagining it <laughs> and what i ultimately discovered is that there is very little uh there is very little documented about that time other than a few telltale anecdotes right. from from his life in that last year, which is he was terrified. He was, you know, screaming um, at at uh, the ghosts of friends who his family didn't rem- didn't ever remember hearing about before. He was, you know, incapable of of you know. I mean, his physically, like you know, like shitting himself and to like these things that happen to anybody when they're going through that kind of a physical decline, um, which is, you know, very tragic and human. Um, And for me, again, like I I was not, you know, there's a a certain amount of levity in, in the conversation of like, you know, 
here's a movie about Tom Hardy and he's wearing diapers and shitting his pants. And there's definitely levity in that. And we were very obviously self-aware of that in ways where we, we are consciously being like, okay, it's okay that this is funny, but it's only okay that this is funny because this is somebody who's known as such a dangerous man. Right. And here he is pooping himself like that's funny but it's not in the same in the same way which is you know the speaks sort of to like you know the the balancing of like a multi-tiered tone tone of this film which is you know where you have you have levity you have tragedy you have the absurd you have you know uh, the the sort of real beating heart in the center of it like there's there's all of those things kind of going on in it, and that's why, you know, I, and and something that I would hope that a lot of people understand of this movie is that those nuances are very very much uh, on purpose. Like this is I love this movie so much. I'm a fan of this movie. I could watch this movie twice a day for the rest of my life, and I'd be good because I've I've I was allowed to you know make this film that. included all these ingredients of like, I could watch this movie just for the sheer joy of seeing Tom Hardy be nuts. You know, I could also watch this movie for just the, the sheer experience of the sort of Fellini-esque surreal second act of the film, you know, like there's just, there's a lot going on inside of it. Um, and that's why I think it'll be interesting to see how a lot of people react because they're, I mean, I'm, I'm more than prepared for like a lot of people to like react to it and be like, what the fuck was that? And that's fine because it, it, I know that it isn't necessarily the most obvious movie in that sense, you know? Yeah. There's a lot of, uh, I, I see it as, um, a lot of dreams with doors and each door is like a new dream in a way, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and like well, one, the one yeah, mantra that we don't, they can go all over the fucking place. Right. Yeah. And the one, the one sort of creative mantra or creative, um, uh, how do I put this? Like the, the sort of the idea of the movie before we went to go make it that I would bring up as a way to bring all of my, um, my crew and all of my department heads and Peter Deming, cinematographer, like all these people, like the one thing that I was like, this is a very useful thing for people to, to, to use for their own imagination as they're all making this film together with us yeah. is to remember that the movie itself has dementia. So that, that's a, that's a big, that's a big part of like what our creative angle was in making this film. So when you're watching it, there are many different things in the movie that if you, once you would, when you, if you rewatch it, you'll realize at, because of certain reveals that happened toward the end of the movie, what, who was actually present, who was actually there, um, what he was imagining and what he was not. But to then ultimately come to the conclusion that it's a movie. So none of it's real in the first place is kind of helpful. You know what I mean? Like it's, it is a movie at the end of the day. And it, you know, the first scene of the movie isn't even real. It's a movie, but you know, it, that's why I think there's a lot of people who, you know, you and I are, are film fans. We like are, you know, 
analytical and like we can break these things down and look at these things. But there's a lot of people who don't see movies the same way that we do. So they may walk away from this thing with like a bunch of conspiracy theories or who the hell knows. And that's, to me, I think, okay, I, I hope that it can be effective in that sense that people will walk away from it with like all different types of theories about what it was or, you know. Right. Yeah, that's cool. Um, tell me about working with Tom because you I mean he's obviously uh, he seems to be game to be to do anything and 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 uh, yep. uh, <laughs> tell me about working with him and preparing for this role and how he surprised you and and the specialness that is the the you know Hardy. He's almost he's like a genre to himself these days. That's true. That's a good way of putting it. I haven't heard anybody say that that like he's a genre to himself it's really true it's like um i mean first time i met him was uh autumn of 2016 um you know he's always ever since i saw bronson i actually saw it at sundance when it premiered um years back and it floored me i mean it was just because that to me is like that's my favorite my favorite style of acting like you know, like I was saying, it's like, you know, you've got that, you know, level of prestigious acting skills that are also combined with this, like, catapulting into insane theatrics and absurdity that is like nothing anybody else you can imagine would be comfortable doing you know, without like thinking they were going to humiliate themselves. But like Tom owns all of it. And he's so like, that's what really makes him his own genre. Um, So when I was uh, uh, told, because I I, had producers who I was working with who, um, you know, when I was like about halfway through the script came on and they, you know, they loved it. But uh, we're, you know, putting the script out and uh, Tom's agent read it and loved it and said, you know, hey, Tom Hardy has a possible window for next year could I send him the script and so the producers asked me and I was like yeah (laughs) you know and I I I didn't but I didn't get my hopes up because I'm like he's so good and he's so Tom he's Tom Hardy like I'm I'm just fucking fantastic Ford director who's like you know smells like a disaster apparently so (laughs) like I just I, I didn't I didn't think it would really amount to anything. And then suddenly the next day I got a call saying that Tom read it, which was fast. Like it was within one day of it being sent to him. He read it and he wants to get on the phone with me as soon as, as, as I can. And I'm like, I can talk to him anytime. So the next morning he calls me and we were on the phone for about six hours. Wow. And he was like, not at all. Like I didn't, I never, and and it's something I'm sure, you know, like, you know, in this business, you you know, like you, you never, you, you never want to like assume that somebody is whoever they are in the characters they portray. Like, you know, so I, I didn't have any pre, you know, preconceptions of anything. Like I just was like, whoever he is, is who he, who he's going to be and who he turned out to be is like, somebody who thinks very much like me and we have very similar ideas and similar interests and we've become best friends since like he's I talk to him every day like he's one of my like closest people in my life I love him like he's you know we just jived so instantly um and then 
uh, he, uh, during the conversation, we were just talking about the movie and talking about just like absurdity and surrealism and just all these elements of, you know, like, you know, he, he wanted to see in, in my script, he's like, I think we can go even crazier in certain areas. And I'm like, awesome, because I, you know, purposefully only teased out in certain angles of like where, you know, like that this craziness, like it was the same crazy script, but to just like let scenes kind of go on a little longer. And yeah. I just was so excited that this was, he loved the script and that, that he wanted to be, that the spirit of it was something that he was just so game for. And so he was like, can you come out to London and we'll hang? And so I was like, of course. So producers pitched in um, to get me a ticket. I went out there. I was out there for like a week and a half, two weeks. And we just hung and became like homies. And it was awesome. And uh, then he was like, all right, let's do this. And so that that's ultimately, you know, we were able to get the financing after that. But like, you know, and he had never seen Fantastic Four, nor did he care about any of that shit. Because, uh, you know, it's like, as you learn, like, man, like, all of these people have had their own drama and things. And, you know, it's like the only difference was just my thing just happened to be more like kind of public and long because it was famous property and there was all this other craziness and Star Wars involved, but Tom didn't care. And when Tom didn't care, I didn't care either suddenly. And that, that really, you know, Tom really like, I feel saved my life in that sense, or at least saved my own self-esteem. And I, you know, really owe him for all of that and for all of the confidence that he helped bring back to me. Um, he's such a sweet guy. Um, but anyway, uh, we, we just worked for like a year and a half on just, you know, because that was how long we had until we started shooting the movie and just character ideas. And I would go back to London and we'd do makeup tests. And it was very much just like a close collaborative process, um, which is why, you know, like he and I are working on a lot of stuff right now together. Like we just had such a great time. And the rest of the cast, when everybody else came on, it was just the same level of like just the family feeling. And, you know, I, I would say that what's what was great about shooting Fonzo is that for everything that was reportedly, you know, terrible about Fantastic Four in a way that, you know, I can agree upon, such as the massive creative differences between me and a studio and, yeah. you know, uh, a uh, you know bunch of bunch of people who are like you know not people not seeing eye to eye and just all that like shooting Fonzo was just the polar opposite in every way like the studio that financed the movie they got the movie they understood what we were doing and they supported it and they were passionate and they loved it the whole cast was there and passionate they loved the movie these are all wonderful people we all had so much in common with each other. We all bonded. We're all still close today. We talk all the time. Uh, the crew was a true family unit. And ironically, you know, I shot Fantastic Four in Louisiana. So I th then ended up shooting, you know, Capone, Fonzo in Louisiana. I mean, when I heard that we were going to have to go back there after, you know, <laughs> what had happened there. And, you know, I was obviously, you know, despite what was said in the press about like Trank was treating the crew and all that, like that was not my memory. I mean, needless to say, the crew was much bigger than, uh, 
the, you know, Fonzo on Fantastic Four, it was like over a thousand people. So I didn't really get to know people as well as I would have liked to. So, you know, it's hard for any, for a lot of people to speak on who, what I was like on, on that, you know, like on that set, which was, you know, we had a 72 day shoot and we wrapped on day 72. It was a busy shoot. Um, but on Fonzo, when I got there, there were people on my crew for Fonzo that worked on Fantastic Four. And it was really, it was really interesting getting back together with a lot of these people because like, I, I didn't know what to expect and they were so sweet. And because they knew why they were there for this movie, because they read the script and they loved the script and they loved like they, these are all Tom Hardy fans. And these were all people who saw me directing a movie that they were working on in a way that wasn't representative of, you know, me really working as a filmmaker. So, you know, on a crew size of Fonzo where you go to work every day and you know, everybody who's there and everybody knows each other's names. It was just a beautiful experience. That's pretty great. And I'm, I'm happy for you to have that, especially after uh, what Fantastic Four sounds like, especially the way of like, I mean, everybody can understand being like undercut and undermined is kind of the worst human experience, no matter what, right? Like it can be in, you know, a job of two people or a, a film set, whatever it is. Sure. I mean, it sucks, but like at the end of the day, like I think, you know, what's, what, what, what's, you know, what's important is that, you know, we all have our experience, we all have our Fantastic Four, you know, like, right. like you've had your Fantastic Four before, um, everybody has, and your, everybody's Fantastic Four is their own, whatever gig it was, whatever job, whatever experience that just went as badly as possible. And then, you know, we all aspire to just like pick ourselves back up and hope to have a great experience on the next one. And, and that's what we had on Fonzo. Like I remember chatting with Linda Cardellini and she was like, this is like the, like, this is like the warmest set I've ever been on. I'm like, really? And again, I don't know. You can ask her as follow up. I don't want to speak on behalf of Linda, but like, it was just one of those odd experiences where like there was so, there was no drama even remotely and it's and when you're shooting a movie shooting a movie is an intense experience because you're with each other all the time it's seven days a week it's you know long hours like 20 hour days and you know there's like pressure and all that there was no drama at all uh it was like just it was just create it was like a, a very busy summer camp where we all had things that we were doing really fast and long hours, but it was like, it was the opposite. It was awesome. I guess it, do you have like one, you know, I guess from your experiences is sort of the theme here. Do you have like a kind of takeaway from, you know, this, 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 the, uh, you know, the, the fantastic four thing that you said that we've all experienced, which I believe is true. Like, do you have like a big takeaway, a kind of sort of overriding feeling? And, and I guess to tie that a little bit into like, does that deter you from working with studios or properties or superheroes, things like that? Maybe if you can combine those ideas. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I will. Yeah, no, it's a really good question because it's one that I think I ask myself every day. Sure. Yeah. Um, so it's hard for me to say I have my definitive answer because like the cool badass answer would be like, you right. know, 
you know, no, I guess, but I don't know if that's cool. Um, what's cool. What was cool 20 years ago is not a cool answer now, but like the honest answer is I, I don't, I don't know. It just ultimately depends on like what I learned from Fonzo versus fantastic four is like the main thing that matters is from the very beginning, if you're working, whoever you're working with, you all should be aligned with each other and see things the same way. So if I, if, if like, for instance, like if some big studio movie or, or whatever it is comes along, I wouldn't want to do it if it seemed like this is a, you know, we all have right from the beginning, we all have a very different idea of what this movie is supposed to be like, but nobody should work like that in any capacity, whether it's, we're talking about movie making or anything else. Uh, or like if, you know, constructing a house, like if, if, you know, somebody hires you to build a house and, you know, you're the architect and you have different ideas than what the, the, per, the owner of the property, it's like that you don't want that to happen. You know what I mean? Like, so uh, the answer is like, like I said, I wake up every day, I ask myself that, that very question. And um, I, I think what's important is like, you know, I've, I kind of, my, my, tw- my, my experience in my twenties was growing up while be- going into this professional environment where I was like learning about myself while I was doing those things and making movies. And I'm, I think I have a much better handle of like, what's important to me as, as an adult. And so what's important to me is to work on things that I love with people who I love whatever it is that I do next, it doesn't matter if, if it, it could be a big studio thing, anything else. I'm not, I'm open mind to all those things. The main thing is I want it to be as lovely as it was making Fonzo, you know? Right. The thing you'll be chasing from here on in, I assume. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, working on a lot of stuff with Tom and, you know, like I, I've just, it's, it's, it, I, I'm, I'm in a, I'm in a very good place, you know, like as, as, and by that, I mean like, like in my soul in that sense in my own like where what i it's very clear to me like the kind of things that i want to be you know working on right well i'm I'm happy to hear that because uh i, I don't think anyone deserves to you know um go through the experiences you did regardless of whatever you know and like it's just on a human level no one wants to uh, hear anyone going through that so i'm glad to hear that you're in a good place and congratulations oh, thank you yeah, no, thanks. And and like I said too, any, like it really, if there's any follow up or you need another like 30 minutes or an hour, like, you know, I'm, I'm, so, first of all, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm really happy to actually finally talk to you. And yeah, also, sure. I could talk about this movie and this experience like for days on end and, you know, and I, and so I'm, I, I appreciate the opportunity um, to talk to you about it anyway. So. Sure. Awesome. Well, thanks so much. I really appreciate it. Um, yeah. Thank you. All right. Well, I guess that was uh, deep focus number two, three years after the fact, but you know, completed. Uh, I hope you enjoyed that interview with uh, Josh Trank. Uh, all the best to Josh. I hope he, uh, he sounds like he's in a better place. He sounds like he went through some dark times. And I think uh, no matter what you think of him or his films, I think we can all agree that um, it, I think everybody deserves to, to, to have some 
God, get get that mental darkness out. It's a, it, you know, it's no good for anybody. So you know, cheers to him, and, and hopefully he can continue on his his new path. It seems very positive. Um, and again, thanks for signing up, or, or thanks for listening. And you know, hopefully uh, you'll uh, want to subscribe and rate and uh, follow our playlist podcast network podcasts. Um, Mind, Deep Focus, The Fourth Wall, The Discourse, Be Real, you know, the various ones we have. And uh, again, thank you so much. And we'll uh, hopefully uh, talk soon and you'll uh, hear us again. Bye.